Welcome into the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast for Wednesday, May 4th. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here as your hosts. We did have the NFL draft last week. If you were paying a little bit of attention, or even if you weren't, you probably saw some information on it. We broke down the uh, the general thoughts that we had on uh, the teams in the draft yesterday. Today we start to dig into a little bit more of a position-by-position look uh, with regards to what happened over the weekend. And where better to start than the most important position in the NFL, that of quarterback. And fortunately, we have our quarterback here, as we always do, to talk about it. Mark, you had, uh, you had, you had fun this weekend. I had fun this weekend, although there was a moment that Friday night kind of blacked out for a little bit. I saw Chad Pennington come up on stage to make the Jets pick, and then I don't really remember what happened after that. Next thing I know, I was coming to, there was a team trading up to draft Roberto Aguayo. I guess a quarterback got picked by the Jets, but I'm blanking on it. This this is what I hear. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to go in order of quarterbacks picked? Do you want to go in terms of most surprising picks? Where do you want to start on all of it? Your show, my friend. God me. I'll go either way. All right, let's start. Number one and number two. Uh, largely expected that we were going to see Goff and Wentz go one two. We did see Goff and Wentz go one two. Talk to me about the take on those situations now that they're actually uh, getting ready to sign with those teams and head into minicamp. Well, I mean, these are the guys that I had one too. I mean, I had Goff one, and I had that last summer coming into this season. Um, and then Wentz, I had him as my number four quarterback coming into this season. And he did some things this year and showed some things on tape, both at the beginning of the year and even in that final nas- national championship game in the Senior Bowl that moved him up the boards, partly because of what he did and partly because of how other people stumbled. It's interesting that both of these teams gave up a lot to get there to pick these guys. And the question is going to be going forward, are they going to get thrown to the action early or are they going to get a chance to kind of sit and learn? And there are different schools of thought on this. I know there are people out there that say, look, you learn by doing, get them under center and let them start playing from week one. I take a different position on that. Look, the way I see it, you can learn as a quarterback on the sideline with the headset on, the play bands on your wrist, get the call. Try to read and react sitting there on the sideline as you would if you were actually out there on the field. You can do that as a quarterback. I've been there. I've done that. You can do it. But I know that there's going to be pressure from both of these organizations to get these guys on the field, particularly golf. With Wentz, you can at least say, look, they've got Chase Daniel. They've got a transition plan probably in place. They don't need to rush him on the field. With golf, they've just moved to L.A., He's the face of a new franchise in a new city, basically. They want to get him on the field, I bet. And the plan is, Jeff Fisher said, get him on the field as soon as possible, aiming for week one. He, he's the closest out of the two to get on the field. I hope they have enough talent around him to make that work. Well, and in particular, looking at what you have in Philly, you mentioned Chase Daniel there. Daniel's a guy that he signed a three-year deal with uh, with Philly in the offseason here. There's $12 million guaranteed, so you figure at the very least you're going to try to get some value out of that contract this year. You start to go a little bit further, and you say, okay, if, if Carson Wentz looks to be able to step in uh, a year from now, we still have a $7 million cap hit if we trade uh, Chase Daniel just due to how the contract was structured. Actually, the cap hit's not going to be quite as bad as that, I don't think, because of how they set it up. But you can move him if he has a good year, and you say, okay, do we pick up a second or third round pick somehow for that and effectively build some draft capital that way 
to help out Wentz down the line. Yeah, I mean, you can do that. The other thing that you can do is hold on to Chase Daniel because... Is $7 million a lot for a backup quarterback, though? Well, how important is the backup quarterback position in the NFL today? I mean, you could you know, work out the thought exercise, take a 53-man roster, yep. start to rank your the importance of each position on the, on the team. When do you hit qu- quarterback two? You probably hit it on most teams, I'd say, in the 20s. It probably depends on the team, though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably team-specific, but, you know, I mean, if you've got a younger, more you know, athletic guy like Blake Bortles, yep. Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. Maybe it's not as important. You don't anticipate those guys going down. Yep. But for some other teams, it's it's up there. Like if you're the Dallas Cowboys, how important is quarterback too? Well, what did you see last year? Yeah, it, it was. It's with, pretty important. Exactly. So it, even if you're spending $7 million a year guaranteed on your backup quarterback for a team like Philadelphia, where even if next year once is ready to go week one, yep. maybe he hits a rough patch. Maybe he gets injured. You at least have somebody you know that can come in and run Doug Peterson's offense and a guy like Chase Daniel. So let's move down the list a little bit further here. We saw a move towards the end of the first round with the Broncos moving back up to uh, to grab Paxton Lynch at number 26. Lynch is a little bit more of a project, though, according to you. Yeah, I mean, he was my fourth quarterback on my board. And, you know, it, it's boards are different from people to people. And I understand that. And, you know, we all need to kind of understand that. Look, my draft board is different than everybody else's out there. And it's going to vary from coaching staff to coaching staff, depending on how they run their offense. I love this pick. I'm not as high on, as Lynch, on Lynch as other people are. But if you think about what Gary Kubiak likes to do, I mean, there's one player that just sticks in my head. It's that fake the stretch to the one side of the field, roll back to the other. You've got tight end in the flat. Receiver to that side going deep, backside receiver coming over on an over out. They, Kubiak loves that design. Yep. Lynch gives you that pretty quickly. Now he's going to have to get used to, you know, operating on the center. We know Kubiak values that. I mean, we saw that the last year with Peyton Manning and that little button of heads over shotgun, pistol, under center, pistol being the way that they kind of compromised on it. Memphis rolled Lynch out on about 16% of the, his dropbacks. It was third highest at FBS. He's a big athletic guy, former win T quarterback, throws pretty well on the move, has a big arm. So you imagine him coming out of that place, that fake on the stretch outside zone to C.J. Anderson, rolling backside. You've got Emmanuel Sanders going deep, Owen Daniels releasing to the flat, and Demarius Thomas coming over on that over rope from the backside. They will run that 15 times a game once Lynch starts seeing game time, and they'll have success with it. From a purely physical perspective, uh, biggest thing that he has to work on, I know I've heard footwork talked about as one of them. Is that the biggest thing, or are there other mechanical places I mean, that he needs help as well? Where he's a big kid, he's got sort of like a big throw in motion to him in a way. He has, is going to need to work on footwork. That's more on the snap from center because he's, again, a guy that was doing a lot of one-step drops, basically, get the snap and throw. So he's going to have to work on some stuff. But it's all, as I put it, a work in progress. Like when I watch Paxton Lynch, there aren't anything, any aspects to his playing style that I look at and say, look, that's a fatal flaw. It's all sort of works in progress. There are things that, like work in progressions, he can do. Wasn't asked to do it a ton, but he can do it. And so it's just going to be a matter of refining the elements to his game and showing some more consistency on the things in the areas where he needs to improve. Moving out of the first round, uh, we, we had you know two, I think, big surprises, probably the two biggest surprises, one a positive one, one a negative one. Let's start with the positive one. Christian Hackenberg to the Jets, uh, 20th pick in round two, 51st overall. 
a little bit earlier, I think, than a lot of people were talking about, even though, you know, you yourself had said, I think, last week, you wouldn't be surprised if Hackenberg went in the first two rounds just because of the demand for the position more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I was down on Hackenberg. I mean, he was like the 16th quarterback on my board, and that was due a lot to the film that we saw the last two years. I mean, right now I'm purely a film guy. Now, I also understand, and I've been saying this for a while, look, it wouldn't surprise me if he went in the first two rounds. And, you know, Friday of last week, I actually wrote a piece that said, look, he's probably going to come off the board at 51 to the Jets. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And I can get it. Because of, A, the quarterback uncertainty in New York City with the Jets, the uncertainty generally at the quarterback position because there's such a thirst for these guys. And when you look at Christian Hackenberg and you look at his freshman year tape and you see him running somewhat of a complex offense that Bill O'Brien was running when he was there at Penn State, you could at that time you could say, look, okay, with some development, this might be a first-round, second-round type quarterback. It didn't match up. That development didn't match up to what those freshman year expectations were. And I think part of the problem there, and when this pick was made, I had the NFL Network on, Urban Meyer, Ohio State coach, said, look, you see this guy in warm-ups and he has the arm you want in a quarterback. But when games started happening, it just didn't come together for him. And Urban's point was, look, I think it stems from protection. And this happens as a quarterback. When you start getting hit, you start getting sacked, the pressure's getting to you. You're taking shots to the chops every time you throw the ball. Everything speeds up. The footwork speeds up. The decision-making speeds up. The decision to release the football speeds up. So now you're basically putting the offense on tilt because your footwork isn't matched up with the receivers. You're getting the ball out of your hands quicker than you should. You're not being patient back there, and you're not letting routes come together. And that's how it all kind of snowballed for him. The word is that he's going to get one to two years to develop. If he gets that, if they get protection around him and the clock in his head starts to slow down again, yep. there's a chance this could work. What about uh, on the other side of things? We saw, obviously, Hackenberg go a little bit higher than some folks expected. Connor Cook slipping all the way to uh, the top of the fourth round, going off to the Raiders at pick 100. Talk to me about what the Raiders are getting in Cook as well as, you know, look, this isn't a guy who just fell out of the first round. This is a guy that fell, you know, 100 picks here. What what exactly is going on there? I don't know, because when I watch Connor Cook, I I comped him to Maverick from Top Gun. He's an aggressive, almost arrogant guy in the pocket. But I like that from a quarterback because you've got to believe that there's nobody else better suited on earth to lead your team when you're playing this position. You can't play it scared. You can't play it timid. You've got to have the the confidence in yourself, in your ability, and in your arm to say, okay, I'm going to throw a seam route to a slot receiver on third and eight when the guy's got an underneath slot corner draped on his back and a safety rotating over the top, but I get, I have to make this throw. I'm the only guy on earth that can make this throw. I'm going to pull the trigger. You need to have that mentality, and Connor Cook has it in spades. I think the problem is it's one of these where there's smoke, there's fire. There were all these stories out of East Lansing. He wasn't liked by his teammates. Sort of that draft day, Sonny Weaver, birthday party test. Look, if he has his birthday party, do all his teammates show up? There were those lingering concerns. And trying to evaluate Connor Cook from 35,000 feet, we don't get to meet with him. We don't get to sit down with him. We don't get to talk to his coaches, talk to his teammates. Maybe there was something to that. Maybe these teams all met with him and said, walked away scratching their heads thinking, you know what? I don't know if we want to take a risk on this guy early. He falls to the Raiders in the fourth round, a team that's set at quarterback with Carr. 
So there'll be no pressure for Cook, but there'll be time for him to develop not only the aspects to his game that he needs to sort of refine, maybe take fewer chances with the football, dial back the aggression a bit, but I'd imagine there's going to be that chip on his shoulder that's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And as we've seen with some quarterbacks, they have a chance to have that happen. The rest of the league might want to be looking out once that guy gets a chance to start. Well, and Cook's a guy who I believe uh, his first couple of years kind of bounced back and forth between being the backup and starter. So he's not a guy who's never had to be in this role. It's not going to necessarily be unusual for him having to kind of compete for reps there. And you wonder if that might be a situation that actually brings out the best in him. I, I would think so. And, and judging by, again, the film that we see and sort of what we've kind of heard about him. Look, again, I think this is a guy that is supremely confident in his ability to play this position. And not only do I think you need that as a quarterback, I think that will help him going forward because he's consistently going to have that attitude. Look, he's probably sitting there right now thinking, I'm, st- I'm still going to have to start for the Raiders week one. Mark, we saw, uh, in addition to uh, Connor Cook, we saw eight other quarterbacks, nine overall, go on day three of the draft here. Who fell into the best situation out of all of them? I mean, I think there's a number of guys that landed in spots that are, have really have the potential to work out for him. One is Kevin Hogan being drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. Hogan's a bit of a tough sort of evaluation from a scheme fit perspective. He has that sort of looping, throwing mechanism to his delivery. Now, he gets the ball out quickly even with that, but if he tries to tighten that up, arm strength, velocity on his throws might dip a little bit, and he doesn't have an overpowering arm to begin with. But he lands in Kansas City where they just lost Chase Daniel, and he's in now going to be in an offense that's a more West Coast offense. He's not going to be tasked with making a ton of deep throws, a lot of quick decisions and shorter routes, and I think that sort of fits him fairly well. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about that landing spot. Going back later in the draft, I mean, there's a couple of guys, Brandon Allen, a guy that I wasn't overly high on, I thought was sometimes too conservative with the football, didn't take a ton of chances when he should in the passing game. He gets a chance now to go to Jacksonville where they've got some weapons. They've got Blake Bortles, who's already entrenched as a starter. I don't see Allen coming in and pushing Bortles, but I think it's a good landing spot for him to kind of learn. Perhaps, you know, much like we've talked about some other quarterbacks, dial up the aggression a bit. A guy near the end of the draft that I'm really intrigued by is Brandon Doty, from, drafted by the Miami Dolphins out of Western Kentucky. Doty's a guy that I think he had a couple of bad breaks for him going through Western Kentucky. He had a knee injury that caused him to miss two years, so he's on the older side. Doesn't have the power arm that you sometimes look for in an NFL quarterback, but I think he's got a nice landing spot in terms of the coaches around him. And he does some things in the passing game manipulating safeties, freezing safeties with his eyes, working through progressions. Um, showing patience, letting underneath defenders clear while routes break open. So there's a mental component to his game that's already there. I think perhaps some time behind Tannehill, working with some of the coaches down in Miami, that might be a good little marriage for Doty and the Dolphins. One uh, one last guy that I do want to talk about here, uh, just because with the events of the last couple of weeks, his uh, drafting takes on a little bit more importance. That's Jacoby Brissett heading to the Patriots. Third quarterback for the Patriots is usually uh, non-existent, typically only carrying a couple. Obviously, with Tom Brady's suspension coming back uh, in the last week here, this position does take on some additional importance. What do the Patriots get out of this guy? Well, I wasn't surprised that the Patriots went quarterback in this draft. And as a matter of fact, I referenced that article I wrote about Hackenberg going to the Jets 51 
in that same piece, I said that the Patriots were going to go quarterback at that same spot. I just thought they would go with Kevin Hogan rather than Jacoby Brissett. I think entering this draft, there was a thought that New England was definitely going to take a quarterback. They, Belichick loves to take quarterbacks every couple of years. He's long since maintained that, look, you want to be a year ahead of schedule on this. You don't want to wait and be a year behind schedule to try to get yourself a quarterback because you'll get behind the eight ball there. So I think the thought was they'd probably take a day three guy, maybe more developmental type. I know there are some guys that have been you know, kicking about, some guys that they met with that fit that mold more. But now that that four-game suspension is back on the table, they need to get somebody probably day two that could come in quicker and run that offense. And they get that, I think, at Jacoby Brissett. He's a guy that... Um, Show some good ability and touch down the field. I know there's issues about his completion percentage on the deep throws. Well, in that Virginia Tech game this year alone, I counted at least four times he put the ball right where it needed to be on a vertical round, and just the completion wasn't made, whether it was a defender somehow drunk, you know, raking the guy's shoulder and preventing the catch where it could have possibly been pass interference or the ball being dropped. They just weren't completed. But Brissett did his job on those throws. He shows pretty quick decisions when he's executing the shorter passing game. Throws a great slant route. I mean, and when you think about the New England offense, quick passes, slant routes, that's a lot of the stuff that they like to do. So Brissett, I think, gives you the ability that in those first four weeks, if Garoppolo somehow goes down, you've at least got somebody that can come in and give you a little bit of that offense on week one. Then when Brady comes back, Garoppolo slots back to two. Brissett now goes to three. Give him a year or two to learn. And then in two years from now, Garoppolo's up for a contract extension. Brady's 41. You'd like to have somebody that's been in your system for two years that you can at least go to as a backup. Or maybe you make him the starter. Maybe you spin Garoppolo Brady retires, and now you've got your starter for the next five, ten years. Yeah, I mean, you figure at this point, New England almost has to be drafting quarterbacks every two years just to have someone at the ready with a couple of years' experience, pretty much. Yeah, because, I mean, Brady, look, he's still playing at a high level, He's but he's my age. And, 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 I, and I don't when, know how he gets out of bed and feels good in the morning, because I certainly don't. <laughs> so. and, and, and when it falls off for quarterbacks, we saw it with Peyton Manning the last couple of years. It, it can fall fast. It, it goes quick. You know, it can it yep. can be even within the course of a season. Right. Uh, just from, you know, one bad tackle, one bad slip, and all of a sudden things are just a little bit out of whack there. So Right. And that's why, you know, Belichick has long said, look, you've got to be a year ahead of schedule because if it happens fast and you're not ready for it, like let's say they don't go quarterback this draft or next one, and two years from now they've spun Garoppolo, they draft some developmental rookie type, and it falls fast. To pieces fast for Brady. Then they're caught with their pants down. Now they've at least got percent in place, so that if it happens two years down the road, they're ready. Time for a uh, quick Twitter question if you got if you got one. I got one right here, actually. Oh, goodness. This one comes from a uh, friend of Pylon, Jeff Lloyd. Jeff says, Lynch will be the league MVP one day in Denver, won't he? I think it's certainly possible. Um, you know, a- as I outlined at the beginning of this show, look, I think it's a great fit schematically. And he comes into a situation where this is the these are the defending Super Bowl champions. Did they win it with offense last year? No, they didn't because Denver was kind of in a situation where you've got a quarterback at the end of his pro football life cycle, Peyton Manning on the downside. But they've got weapons. They've got a defense. He can come in. Maybe he starts week one. Maybe he beats out Mark Sanchez. Maybe he doesn't see the field until week four. But this is a great situation. So whenever he sees the field, they won't have to put a ton on him early. They can use him on the route concept like I talked about, get him moving, use his athleticism, and he can be kind of eased into the transition even when he's on the field. 
you know, in the middle of the moment. So I think this is a great fit. And to Jeff's point, big fan, you know, big fan of Jeff, huge friend of ours. I think Jeff's in a way a little bit frustrated because his Jets were sitting there at 20 and they could have had a Paxton Lynch and they passed on him. And now he's got Christian Hackenberg coming to town. So I feel Jeff's pain a bit. I do, brother. <clears throat> it's not your fault, Jeff. It's not, not your fault. It's not your fault, man. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Don't do that to me. That's all the time we've got for the day. We are back tomorrow with Dave Archibald, ITP's own defensive back guru. We're going to be breaking down what happened uh, with DBs over the course of this draft tomorrow on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast.